זוג תלה סנדס ותלה סחיים יבוא בחיים. תלה ולתהיים! Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to episode 17 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by an anonymous sponsor in honor of the Rebbe and his Hasidim. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. Today is Gimel Tamas, the anniversary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's passing. Hasidic teachings tell us that the physical passing of a tzaddik, a righteous person, does not mitigate their impact on the world, but only intensifies it. The Rebbe's presence can be found in his teachings, in his legacy, and in the influence that he continues to have on people around the world. In honor of this special day, I wanted to celebrate the Rebbe's impact, so I asked five women of different ages and backgrounds, five questions on how the Rebbe has impacted their life. While they each shared separately, I arranged their words back to back to each other so we could hear the richness and diversity of the Rebbe's influence on their lives. Let's listen together. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My name is Malka Myers and I'm 18 years old. I'm currently in seminary in Chaya Edel, which is in Hollandale, Florida. I had a really, really incredible year. I am very passionate about poetry and art and expressing yourself. I am very passionate about being authentic to yourself. And I think this is what makes when you're authentic to who you are and you act that way, it just makes everything you do purposeful because we're here for such an important reason. And I think that when you live consciously for the reason why you were created, it also just makes you the happiest you could be. It's like very harmonious. So I'm passionate about that. Hi, I'm Kylie. I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I'm a writer. I podcast. And I am also a PhD student in Jewish philosophy at New York University. I also started a really beautiful project called Models of Faith in an organization called Rooted. So I do a lot of different things. And I'm passionate about bringing people together and creating beautiful gatherings with people of all different backgrounds to show them that we have a lot more in common than we think that we do and these things that we think separate us and like we believe this about politics and we believe this about Judaism and about God actually don't really matter and you can create spaces where people who have totally different backgrounds can come together and just have a really good time and learn about each other and bring something special to whatever that space is where we're gathering. I'm also passionate about making Judaism relevant without watering it down, helping people understand that Judaism is something that is everybody's birthright and it's something that everybody can connect to. You just kind of have to find your in. That's like something that I'm really passionate about. Hi, I'm Esti and I'm a shlucha of the Rebbe in Overland Park, Kansas. Shlucha is literally means emissary and it's kind of an umbrella term that can encompass many more specific job descriptions. Personally, I'm a preschool teacher I run family and children programming, and in general, I just try to be available to connect with Jews in my area and to connect Jews that I meet to their heritage, to Judaism, and to the Torah, and to Hashem. My name's Rivka Sarachin. I'm 47 years old. I have no problem saying my age, by the way. And I live in Crown Heights, which shocks me. Every day, although I absolutely love it, 
I am a California girl, was brought up on Shluchas in LA. My father's Schwartzy. Go get his book. It's fantastic. And I, at different stages of my life, I've been doing different things. So when my kids were younger, I definitely was a stay-at-home mom and really proud and honored to do that job. The days were not always easy. The days were often long. But I feel like it was a privilege and money was tighter. But if we could have eggs every night, that's just fine because there was nothing like putting in those years into my kids. And then they got bigger and they went to school. And then I started to work for Chabad of Westport. Great people, the canters. And so that's an honor to be part of that. And I help run with my friend, Cherry New, the mikvah. It's called Mikvah Mechai Mushka. And it's on Lefferts and Troy. And it is a privilege that I thank Hashem every day that I got to be part of this thing, this mikvah, this family that is so much bigger than me. And I'm, I'm very thankful and very honored to be part of that mikvah. So I do the back end stuff. So that's my day to day of who I am and what I do. Hi, Tanya. So it's really a pleasure for me to participate in this wonderful podcast. I love your podcasts. So it's a pleasure to participate in this wonderful podcast that you have for Gimel Thomas. And thank you so much for inviting me. So I'm your Bubby. And my claim to fame, of course, is Bubbyhood. And it's a pleasure to doing business with my wonderful granddaughter, Tanya Le. And you have a special place in my heart, a namesake for my mother. So that's our group of women, starting with a teenager and ending off with my very own Bubby. <laughs> some who met the Rebbe and some who did not. Some who consider themselves to be Chabadniks, even Shluchim, and others who found themselves somehow connected to this man that we call Rebbe. I began by asking them a more general question. What impact has the Rebbe had on your life? I feel like it's so important just for any human to have a knowledge that there's something greater than them and that like just greater than all kinds of human comprehension because oftentimes in life like there are things just we will never know and there are things we'll never understand and as much as we need to do our part there will be times where it's just too painful or too confusing and to have a connection with a greater authority is not just like helpful it's like very necessary to get through those times and in a time of pain it can be a haven and in times of uncertainty it could be a roadmap the rebbe is basically that connection the rebbe is that connection to infinity and to something greater but in a much more tangible form the connection consists of my mariam letters pictures videos and what's crazy is that at any time i could just watch or read or learn something and feel connected to something that's greater than me and to something that's so true that in a world that's so confusing and painful at times it's just like it's just crazy and that kind of how i can explain the impact it's it's almost like like a beautiful comforting just connection The impact that the Rebbe had on my life, it really is something that I felt two years ago, like starting two years ago. A friend of mine took me to the Ohel for the first time, and just a disclaimer, I was not raised Chabad. My touch points with Chabad have always been closer, I guess, than some. I was a, like a hater teacher for my local Chabad in Greensboro, North Carolina. I worked in Camp Ganizi one or two summers. I was born and raised in Kansas for a little while and was in an Orthodox track in my pluralistic Jewish day school. And that was taught by the Chabad teacher. The teachers who my mom always gravitated towards were Chabad. And so I've always had like, I've had a close tie to some degree to Chabad. I've never thought about it really. I've certainly never thought of the Rebbe's connection, the Rebbe's connection to it. It was just this matter-of-fact thing. These people who I was involved with, these people who I knew were different. I considered them so different from me. 
I had beef with orthodoxy just from my middle school and high school experience and have consequently processed and worked through that. But I considered them so different for me. And I think, I don't know when it started, but I guess two years ago, I went to the Ohel. A friend of mine who was visiting from Israel took me to the Ohel for the first time. And I didn't know what to expect. I've always had a very spiritual, like spiritual inklings and longings and a very close relationship with God, like always talking to God and feeling a strong presence of God in my life. And I've had experiences at different grave sites, the Arizal and Sfat, and just and wanting, wanting to experience something and also feeling a lot of pressure like I should experience something. But I went to the Ohel feeling like I was supposed to go, not really understanding why and going. And that was like my first, if I could say the impact that the Rebbe had on my life, it would be summed up in like this experience that started then. I went to the Ohel, I wrote out everything that I wanted to say, and we're there and we're davening and and I get to the point where I like say my piece and I didn't read off of what it is that I wrote I just started speaking it covered my eyes I covered my face with a book and I was crying and from that point on the ohel became oh I'm gonna start crying now (laughs) the ohel became a spot for me to really go kind of cleanse and pour out my soul it it kind of felt like a mikvah like I would I would literally like take off all my makeup, take off my nail polish (laughs) and rent a car and drive to the Ohel after that experience. And it was just the thing that I always felt like I needed to just talk openly, like to say the things that were on my soul that I couldn't say in any other place. And that started the beginning of my connection with the Rebbe, somebody whose life work in a lot of ways, was devoted to bringing people together of different backgrounds and showing Jews of all backgrounds that they have a place within Judaism, even if they think that they don't. His life experience was not that of the typical kind of pious rabbi going to college in Paris and being somebody who who did things that was that were different. And I've I've always really related to that. To see somebody who, who was a leader in the way that he was, who was a centerpiece in the world. Like he was somebody who people came and visited. He's somebody who people of all different backgrounds are still coming to visit at the Ohel. I've just been really shaped by that. Seeing the way that he is with people who visit him, reading about him, he just became a kind of guide for me it feels like, and somewhere that I can go where I can just talk to somebody. It sound, maybe it sounds weird, but talk to somebody who gets it. <laughs> like Talk to somebody who is trying to do the same things as I am, and I'm obviously doing them on a much smaller scale, but I don't think scale really matters because in the grand scheme, trying to change one person, which I think is what the Rebbe wanted to do, like just just bring one person in, just show one person the glory of their heritage and the gift that they have and you've done enough go out to forest point in the world and find one person one single person who has a jewish soul a jewish neshama and connect them to that and you've done a lifetime's worth of work and then some he just became a really important person for my life in my life from that point on and and i think maybe they're subtle Hints of that, just from my involvement with Chabad, building up to this point. But it took a while to get to the point where I really saw it. More practically, the impact that the Rebbe has had on my life is the actual life that I am living. I'm a shlucha of the Rebbe. I grew up, I mean, I'm a shlucha in Kansas. I grew up in Kansas because my parents are shluchim here as well. And my father grew up in Kansas. My grandparents moved here in 1970. The only life I've ever known is a life about trying to bring Judaism to others, trying to impact my surroundings, hopefully positively, and just to be there for others in whatever way they may need, be it, you know, spiritually, 
be it just to be there physically for other Jews, to be there to cook hot meals, to lend a shoulder to cry on. So really, my entire life as I know it is thanks to the Rebbe and his leadership. So it's a little bit difficult to separate the impact or to define the impact that the Rebbe had in my life, and it's just also intertwined. But if I had to kind of break it down into a few general ideas, I would say, first of all, just the Rebbe's positive outlook on everything, just the positive outlook on the world around me, that the world is innately good, that the world is a garden that's here for us to cultivate and to beautify just recognizing the innate good in every person, that every person is godly, that every person has what to contribute, that every person is holy, that every interaction is meaningful. So I guess just meaning and purpose in the world around us. The Rebbe's impact on my life started from, I guess, when I was born. My parents were shluchim in California. So I was born into Shluchus, and so it's all I knew, and it still continues to have an impact on me. First of all, I thought I'd go on Shluchus. That didn't work out, but I try to run our home like a Shluchus home. The Shluchim, you know, they're on 24-7, so I can't say that I have that. I get to pick and choose a little bit more, although I try to push myself to always do more, but we try to have an open home. The Pekishas that come through Granites often stay in our home. We host them, and it's it's always a privilege to be part of the shluchas world. And I try to better myself. So that's the Rebbe's, if you stayed steady, you weren't growing. So I have all sides of myself and personality, but I know that the end goal is to always try to better yourself and to do the Rebbe's work. So I would say every day the Rebbe has an impact on my life. From when I was brought into this world on Shluchus to the way I run my home, to the way I try to run my life and better myself and constantly working on myself. This podcast is completely a stretch for me, but I pushed myself because Tanya asked me and none of Gimel Thomas, even if I can affect or influence one person, then that's my goal. And Thank you for asking me, by the way. I know I'm nervous. My heart is pumping. But the goal is to, if you told the Rebbe you did 100 of whatever it was, the Rebbe asked for 200. There's no such thing as staying in your comfort zone. So speaking to you and answering your questions and explaining a little bit of my connection with the Rebbe publicly, because I, I kind of am a, pri- a more private person, even though I'm a people person. I don't know if that goes together. But this is very public, so it's out of my comfort zone. And, you know, you push yourself. You push yourself out of your comfort zone to help and try to impact other people and grow yourself. You're asking what impact the Rebbe had on me. So, you know, just I'll tell you, I am really flooded with uh, memories and emotions and I'm going to try to just put it into as concise as a manner as I can, okay? It's like you ask a question, does a person need oxygen? And how much oxygen? And what does the oxygen do for the person? So oxygen is life-sustaining. Every cell needs the oxygen. The mitochondria needs the oxygen. Every organ Every part of your body to be able to function in any proper way, it feeds even our thoughts, our emotions, our actions. Oxygen is what fuels everything in us. So I would say that for me, the Rebbe's teaching, and of course, Chassidus Chabad in general, Taira Chassidus Chabad is oxygen. It gives us the vibrancy of life. And that's really what I would say in a nutshell. It vibrates into every aspect of my being and every aspect of my actions and every aspect of my soul and everything, because it reminds me one time when I was a young mother, I asked my mother, I said, Ma, 
how did you raise like normal kids? Because raising children comes with challenges. And my mother said to me very simply, she says, Hanala, we didn't raise you. The Rebbe raised you and the Rebbe raised us. And then I thought about it and I thought it was so true. That's exactly what was going on. The Rebbe raised us all and gave us the oxygen that we needed. And, you know, to go into the details, how it played out and in what manners and in what ways, these are the protein. But in a, in a classic way, I would say, really, really, that is the aspect that the generator of oxygen for life. There is something very special to me about hearing my grandmother speak. Because she speaks from the perspective of someone who not only met the Rebbe once or twice, but can actually say these words, the Rebbe raised us. It makes me think that, in a sense, if we can raise ourselves, literally lift ourselves, to live by the Rebbe's teachings, then we also can merit to have the Rebbe raise us. Okay, now I asked if everyone could share their favorite quote from the Rebbe. And I know that favorite is something that makes most people recoil. I hear someone ask, what's your favorite food? And I freeze. Because how on earth am I supposed to choose one favorite food? Anyways, I probably would struggle to answer this question myself, but I asked it anyways. What's your favorite quote from the Rebbe? There are way too many quotes to choose from. They're like probably all my favorite in different situations. Different ones apply perfectly. But one that really speaks to me is he goes, if you see what needs to be repaired and how to repair it, then you have found a piece of the world that God has left for you to complete. But if you only see what is wrong and what is ugly in the world, then it is you yourself that needs repair. And I found this very powerful because it's so nice that we always see problems and to know that either, yeah, you could do something about it. It gives you this so much empowerment. And if you can't do anything about it, then it's also empowering that you can then fix it in yourself. The rabbi is basically giving you the solution to like every problem, even if it's hard. It's like the rabbi just makes it seem so like, obviously like this is just what you do. And so it's very, it's very empowering and yeah. Oh, I like this one. That when you see something that needs to be repaired, then maybe that's a piece of the world that God left for you to repair. So instead of seeing the ugliness, you see an opportunity for your soul to do something there. My favorite quote from the Rebbe is, I don't know. I think sometimes I say Rebbe. I hear other people say Rebbe. <laughs> I don't know what it actually is. So by the end of this podcast, hopefully I'll be corrected. Maybe it doesn't matter. I can say whatever I want. It is a quote from an experience, an encounter, a meeting that George Rohr, who is a philanthropist and genuinely one of the best humans in the world, just such a kind, sweet, funny, great man. He met with the Rebbe. There's video of this. And he was telling him how he started this beginner's minion at his shoal on the Upper East Side. And he was so excited about this beginner's minion that he had just taken the initiative to start and bring people in. And the Rebbe was going to be so happy and so excited that this man created a service for people who aren't familiar with Shabbat services. He's going to introduce the service to them. It's going to be something that the Rebbe is going to be so proud of. And George tells the Rebbe about this, and he says that he created a service. It's not, this isn't precisely what he said, but he said something along the lines of for Jews of, of no background. And I think mid conversation, the Rebbe stops him and says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Again, he didn't say, Whoa, 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 but I'm editorializing a little bit. The attitude that he gave was, Whoa, whoa, whoa. These aren't Jews of no background. Tell these Jews who are coming to your service that they have the background of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Tell them 
that they have a background. I get chills whenever I see it. I get chills now talking about it. What he was saying is that there's no such thing as a Jew who doesn't have a background in Judaism. It's a part of us. You are part of the story. It is It is in you. And the idea that we encounter Jews who may not be observant, who may not know, who may not be strongly connected kind of outright to the fact that they're Jewish, doesn't mean that they don't have a background. It doesn't mean that they don't have something within them to connect to. They're connected. The light just has to be turned on and shown on it. That is my favorite quote from the favorite quote attributed to the Rebbe is probably, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph. I never quite feel qualified enough to teach others. So I try to keep this quote from the Rebbe in the back of my mind that you don't have to know everything. It's not possible to know everything. You don't have to be the world's greatest teacher. You just have to be open and willing to share the knowledge that you do have with others. And I just love that idea that every one of us has something to give and something to share. My favorite quote of the Rebbe, I can't say that I'm a quote person in general. I actually looked up my birthday, Hayyam Yam. In general, I, the Hayyam Yam is one of my favorite, is it a safer? I guess it is, of what the Rebbe put out. So I'm going to pull out my Yiddish, which is a base Yaakov LA Yiddish. But of course, it's always better in Yiddish. Estarf zayn avayda b'kayach atzmai. Hecher is as menemt farenhant on mefirt. Taira is as er is b'kayach atzmai. So this is for chaf tes menachem av, which is my birthday, which my father always try to elevate and call it erev reish And in English, it means there must be avayda by one's own efforts. Superior heights are attained when one is taken by the hand and led. It is more precious, though, when it is by one's own strength. When you're saying, what is your favorite quote that is attributed to the Rebbe? And there again, everything, every word, every nuance is precious. The way the Rebbe spoke, interacted, everything was a life teaching. You know, when you saw the Rebbe walk into the room, it was life teaching. Okay, I want to personalize it a little bit. So when did I first see the Rebbe? I think it might have been even when I was a little kid in France. And the Rebbe came, the Rebbe Sanchana, and to bring her to the United States. So I was a little girl then living in Paris. And my father used to take me to the shul, would come and daven. And I remember hearing a buzz so I vaguely remember seeing a young person that was reserved and very dignified, but it didn't really hold that much meaning to me then. It was more like uh, my friend, uh, Marilla Butman, whose mother was uh, a Schneerson, a first cousin to the Rebbe, and she was busy hosting the Rebbe's mother and so on. And I heard about that from her, so that left more of an impact. When we came to the United States, I was just shy of eight years old, and we had Yechidus, and that was the first time that I saw the Rebbe. And even though I was a young child, the kindness, the caring, the dignity of the Rebbe was so apparent even to my young mind. And that was the first time that we had Yechidus. After that, we had first lived in a different neighborhood a bit further, but then we were able to live on the outskirts of uh, Crown Heights, and thereby I was able to come to Fabrengens at that time. You know, Lubavitch was a small community. It was more like a shtibel. And uh, in the Weibershul, there was myself, two other girls, and Rebbe Semendlikwal, and that was the women's section. And after a Fabrengen, we would rush to the Rebbe's door, his office, and after Fabrengen, the Rebbe would go in there and he would say good Shabbos to us. So I did have the very kind of personalized uh, connection in those early years, but really irregardless, like later on, when it was much more machusik and you couldn't have all those yechidases that we had and we took for granted, or not, no, I wouldn't say we took for granted, but we became accustomed to the inner aspect is always 
the nekuda, the inner aspect, to live with the Rebbe's teaching, to live with the Torah, to to become a leader. The Rebbe wanted leadership. He didn't want followers. And the Rebbe also wanted that we should never be satisfied. No matter what, that quest of always more. Now for our third question. Can you share a concept that the Rebbe taught that you live with on a daily basis, whether consciously or unconsciously? A certain concept that the Rebbe taught that is super powerful and I think subliminally went into my mode of behavior and perspective when it comes to interacting with people. And I feel like it's one that is just an unjudgmental, unconditional view of other people. And something that highlights it that I heard once in a video from him was that he said, the Rebbe said, how dare you tell someone off? Because to Hashem, he is the, it's this child of Hashem is the apple of his eye. And that kind of highlights like that whole idea that all Jews are equally loved by Hashem and we're all special. We all have so much infinite worth and to treat people as such and to not, to not put labels on people. You know, a lot of times in Judaism, there's like different labels of different sects and people often, even like they think they're in the right place of like, oh, well, this person is this, this person is that. And I think the Rebbe would never, like you would never catch him looking at someone and judging them based on, on their title, so to speak, or whatever. They just, the Rebbe looked at every single Jew as a Jew and nothing, nothing less and treated them as such. And treated them as a soul and it kind of goes in line with with the whole just so positive the rebbe was so positive and saw the good in everybody and saw the good in everything and i think this also really impacted me i know they're kind of separate ideas but to me it's like the same concept it's just so much positivity that was so that it wasn't just a concept that the rebbe taught it was one that he really lived and so you by watching his videos by reading his letters and learning his teachings you just constantly got fed this positive perspective on people and life. And this taught us how to treat people and how to look at people. And, you know, I try every day to be better and to treat people better. But this all comes from what the Rebbe taught. And I am always working towards this concept. So I may not live perfectly with that, but it is something I'm always conscious of. concept of the Rebbe's that I live with on a daily basis. I don't think about it at all. It's not something that I set out to do every day. I think instinctually, inherently, I go out into the world and I look for Jews. <laughs> I kind of like have this radar. I just put it out and it works because when I'm at a cafe, when I'm at the Apple store, when I'm, I want to say like literally anywhere. And I say literally not in a, in a hyperbolic sense, quite literally anywhere I go, I will talk to somebody and that person will be a Jew. And it's, it's astounding to me how it always works. It always happens. I am so open about the fact that I'm Jewish. It helps that I'm studying Jewish philosophy. So when somebody asks me what I do, I say, I'm studying Jewish philosophy and I'm getting my PhD in Jewish philosophy. And that leads somebody then to say, oh, are you Jewish? Because by looking at me at this point in time, based on where the world is at right now, you wouldn't necessarily assume that I'm Jewish. Give it 20 years, the question won't be asked. But right now, it's still a question that's asked. And it's a totally fair question, by the way. I'm not insulted. It's like such a reasonable question. And I ask the same thing about other people who look like me. <laughs> anyway... And so I say, yes, I am Jewish. And then the response is almost always, oh, I'm Jewish also. And then we get into a conversation and the conversations oftentimes go to God. Like they just, they go to these places that I don't ever expect, but at the same time, almost kind of do, I guess. And that's why I get them. But I've met so many people. I've had so many people at my Shabbos dinner table that way or at anything that I've hosted that way. And I think that's like the essence. I think that's what the epitome of what the Rebbe wanted us to do. I don't wear it. Uh, again, it just kind of happens. 
but I go out into the world and I live my Judaism proudly and openly and I bring it into every encounter that I have with somebody. I mean, this isn't unique to the Rebbe in, in the book of Mikilat Root Boaz. It was like introduced this idea that Boaz tried to bring God into every conversation that he had with people. This is something that we've been trying to do for a long time. And that we, it's like constantly a tikkun. It's constantly work that we have to do, I think. And the Rebbe really brought that into fashion. He made that something that a whole massive group of people do. And, he, and I think that has inspired other people to do the same thing. It certainly inspired me to feel more confident doing that. And yeah, I go out into the world and I wear my Judaism and I'm so prepared to meet other Jews, talk to them about it and really bring Judaism to them. I'm not carrying candles around with me to give to them or anything like that. Metaphorical candles for their soul, maybe, but not literal candles. But yeah. That's, I think, the concept that I carry with me. A concept that the Rebbe taught that I live with daily is probably that, you know, it's never enough. People used to send in reports of their accomplishments to the Rebbe, and he would reply, okay, that's good, what's next? The Rebbe was never satisfied because there's always more work to be done. We live in a world that is still far from perfect, and so I find it stressful sometimes when I'm exhausted or when I feel like I've really given it my all. And then, you know, I sit back and I think, well, we're not done. But at the same time, as much as it can be stressful, it's also really invigorating. Or, you know, it's good for me. It's good for me to always have that push that, yes, take a little rest and, you know, get your energy back, but then get back to it. You can never really take it too easy. And personally, I find that push really, really energizing. So the concept that the Rebbe taught that I live by, which is a little similar, I guess, to the question of what impact did the Rebbe have on my life, is, and Rabbi Simon Jacobson speaks about it a lot on his Applied Chassidus, which I love, is that we all need to do shluchas. So yes, there are the shluchim that get the kinnis to honor them every year and so that they could get together. But there's everybody else that's not on official shluchas, that we all have our own personal shluchas that we need to figure out. So living in Crown Heights, you could get lost in the shuffle. And then you could also do great things or work on yourself to do great things. So I have to say that helping run Mikvah Mechai Mushka, I totally consider my shluchas it is a day-to-day job. We have incredible staff that there has to be top people that need to help run it. So that's Cherry, New, and I. There's so many details in it that during COVID, when we, every, you know, our staff's a little older, so they were off for COVID and they stayed home to protect themselves. But we had a few subs and they were like, we just come to the mikvah. We had no idea how many details go into the back end. So I have to say that's my number one shluchas that I am extremely proud of and extremely honored to be part of. And there's actually a lot of hayam yams about how a mikvah comes before a shul. And I mean, it's really one of the most tremendous mitzvahs. It's one of the three top mitzvahs that us women have. And so to be part of something like that is just a tremendous, tremendous chus. It's interesting. I was thinking about it. Like lately, I heard an idea, and somebody told me about the abbreviation is Ohio. Only handle it once. That's what it stands for. Ohio, only handle it once. And it's just practical tips in your life where you're always involved in putting away things, uh, handling things, sorting things, organizing things, because in our lives, many times we get an opportunity to only handle it once, whatever that opportunity is. And it might be very seemingly small, seemingly not so important or mundane, but if we have the perspective of looking at it with Yiddish eyes, meaning what is the opportunity here? So 
using the opportunity of this particular once to only handle it once, to make a difference, to make a difference in this small detail, only handle it once. As I mentioned, some people in this group have met the Rebbe and others have not. So I asked each woman to share a story from the Rebbe that touched them personally, either because they heard it or because they experienced it personally. Well, to confirm if this story is accurate, I know it's accurate because I read it in Seeds of Wisdom, but I don't know if the exact words I'm saying is the exact words, and I don't have Seeds of Wisdom with me. But the story is basically that there was a man that had a tradition that he would, the groom steps on the bride's foot lightly at the chuppah to kind of assert his dominance in the home for their whole marriage. And this man asked the Rebbe if if he should do it, if he agrees with it. And the Rebbe said, show your wife so much love and respect that she will respect you in response and you won't have to do that. And this story just just means a lot to me because the Rebbe literally did not, he was just so, had so much infinite wisdom that it extended to just like such a simple thing where a guy was like, should I do this or not at my wedding? And the Rebbe just answered so truthfully and also so in line with, with what's healthy for our marriage and everything. And like, I know it's, it seems like such a small random thing, but it meant a lot to me. So story of the Rebbe, <laughs> you're going to catch me like making that mistake. Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe. <laughs> a story of the Rebbe that has moved me personally. I can say one that's inspired me, I think. I am somebody who, thank God, has a lot of different interests. I do different things. And I felt very insecure about doing different things, about having different interests, about not pursuing one thing kind of through, of wanting to make different contributions to the world, all maybe tied to the same core idea, but looking very different, different worlds. And there's some points where it all just becomes too overwhelming. It feels too overwhelming. It's not actually because I can handle it, but it does feel way too overwhelming. I cry a good deal <laughs> and I smile a good deal also, but I also cry a good deal. And a lot of it has to do with feeling like, oh my God, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And how do I do these things together? And how do I split up my time between these different things? And I was at one point telling my friend about this and just saying, I've taken on too much. I can't do it. I've taken on too much. I've taken on too much and I cannot do it. She started telling me this story. She goes right into a story. And she says, so there is a, a shaliach who I guess called the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I don't know from where, but it was one of the early, early shluchim who called the Lubavitcher Rebbe saying basically what I was telling my friend. I've taken on too much. I can't do this. I, do, I cannot do this. I don't know why Hashem's given me all of this. I can't do it. And I guess the Lubavitcher Rebbe hears, hears him and then stops and says, I forgot, there's one thing that I need you to do for me. And he tells him this thing. And I was horrified by that story at first. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so insensitive. <laughs> just giving him something else. Like he's telling him all these things, just giving him something else. And my friend said the way that she understands that story, and I think she's really right, is that what the Lubavitcher was saying, and I'm sure there's more to that story than I could fill in the blanks with. But what he was saying is that we don't have too much on our plates. It's just a matter of how we understand the contents on our plate. It's how we think about the things that we have on our plates. If you think that you have too much, you have too much. If you don't think that you have too much, you can always add more. And there's room for things that are important. And there's no such thing as having too much to handle. We make a bigger deal out of things. We choose stress. We make a bigger deal out of things. When, if you peel back the layers, you find that if you relate to them differently, you actually have all the room in the world to do everything. 
but it's really a matter of how you relate to it as opposed to actually having too much to do. And so if I looked at everything as gifts that I have time to give to and not pressure cookers, not these points of pressure that I have in my life that I'm not doing this and I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing this, but rather, cool, I have this to do and I have this that I get to do and I have this that I get to do and maybe I won't do it all today. And I say this and I'm struggling with getting these words out because I don't want to believe them because on some level I want to just wallow in it. I want to just say like, no, I have too much. This is too much. I can't do it. But I know that that's not true. I know. I know that the truth is that my attitude is the thing that matters, that my attitude changing. I choose to feel like these things are a burden. I say all of this as somebody who wants so badly not to believe the words, the very words that are coming out of my own mouth. I say all of this as somebody who wants to be suffering. I I do on some level. And I think also what the Rebbe's doing in that story is pushing somebody beyond the point that they think that they can get. I mean, the Rebbe, like he's calling the Rebbe saying, I have this and I have this and I can't do it. And the Rebbe tells you you have something else to do, you're going to do it. with my great-grandfather and the revenue that I always love to hear. My great-grandfather had a friend who once needed advice on an urgent matter, and he, this friend asked him if he could write a note to the Rebbe and go ask the Rebbe for his advice. And so my great-grandfather headed to 770, where the Rebbe's office was, and he wrote down this note, and it was the end of the day, and the Rebbe's secretary at the end of the day would usually walk into the Rebbe's office to receive answers from the Rebbe or hand him some notes or whatever it was. And my great-grandfather saw that the secretary was already in the Rebbe's office. So what he did was he took this note and he stuck it in an envelope and he slipped the envelope into the door jam, into the crack between the door and, you know, the frame around it. And he hoped that, or he, he assumed that when the secretary would back out of the office, because people would always back out of the Rebbe's presence as a sign of respect, he would notice the envelope and hand it to the Rebbe. And he watched as the secretary backed out of the Rebbe's office, but he missed the note. And this note in the envelope fell to the ground. And my grandfather saw the Rebbe walk around his desk, bend down, pick up the envelope. And then within about 20 minutes, he had had an answer to this urgent matter. The next day, my great-grandfather wrote a letter to the Rebbe apologizing for having caused the Rebbe to bend down to, you know, to pick up this note. And the Rebbe replied, this is my whole purpose to uplift. And I always just take that story with me. Just imagine if we all walked around thinking that how we could uplift the other, the people in our lives how we can just uplift others. And the Rebbe ended off, this is my whole purpose to uplift, especially that which others forget. This one's a little dicey because I actually did have an opportunity to meet the Reva by Fabringens, by dollars, but I had my heart's beating. I had a one-on-one encounter with the Reva that I'll try to get through this without too many emotions. I think every time I say it, I lose it a little bit, but I'm focusing because it, I think it's, it was a life lesson that changed my life. My mother, my bio mom who gave birth to me, Alta Schwartz, passed away when I was young. And for my boss mitzvah present, fun, 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 my father flew into New York. It's, you know, my birthday's camp time. So for my boss mitzvah present, my father flew into New York to take me to my mother's caver for the first time. So we went to the aisle and you have to remember it was 1985. And we went to the aisle. Now it's really only a 30-minute drive out of traffic, but it felt like it was three hours. It was pretty heavy. It was 1985. No one really spoke, spoke about their feelings. So we took a cab. It was my father and I in the back seat, not too much talking. And we got to the aisle, and it was only the free to Rebbe that the Rebbe was alive, thank God. And when we got to the aisle, they asked us, my father said, take off your shoes, because we're going into the Rebbe's aisle, the Friedrich Rebbe, just to clarify, we did that first. And when we got there, there were pebbles. It wasn't nicely paved. And 
heaters and air conditions and lights. So, you know, it was a whole different experience. And we got there and we started to say to Helen, and then all of a sudden somebody came and said, the Rebbe is coming, the Rebbe is coming. Get out of here. And I remember the feeling of running on those pebbles and the pain actually on my feet, running out of the aisle and standing on the side. And my father placed me before him. He wanted the Rebbe to see me. We had left the aisle part and we were standing on the side. And my father put me before him and the car pulled up with the Rebbe inside. I don't remember anything else except pure silence. And hold on, I'm getting emotional. You have to remember this was a very big deal for me. I'm going to my mother's caver. I'm going with my father. It was 1985. We really didn't speak about the tragedy too much. It was a little bit like out of body. Anyways, the world became silent. I can't explain the feeling. And my feet are hurting, but I guess I forgot it in the moment. My father's behind me with his arms on his shoulders, on my shoulders. And the Rebbe is walking down the little path to go into the aisle. But he turned and he looked at us. And I think he even smiled. My father said he smiled. I don't remember. I just remember the intensity of it. And it was very intense. And it probably was seconds. But I hold on to that moment because all of a sudden, like all that heaviness lifted from my shoulders. And I thought, the Rebbe is letting me know it's going to be okay. I mean, the Rebbe didn't go off into the aisle then. He, I think he went like, I'm not even sure how often. The world certainly didn't go to the aisle, maybe except on Erev Rosh Hashanah. So it wasn't like it was full now. And it was just a moment that I thank Hashem every day that I got to have. Because instead of this being a heavy, like tough, emotional, weird, out of body, confusing for a 12-year-old, it ended up turning into like a bracha that I get to turn back to all the time. Life is going to be okay. It's not always easy. There's different things that we have to endure, but it's going to be okay. Okay, again, any time of seeing the Rebbe, meeting the Rebbe, just even seeing the Rebbe, in each one was in a superb category of its own every single time. Somebody who had worked with Zadie and Maimonides, and she was a nurse, and uh, we befriended her. And, you know, she decided that uh, she wasn't married. And before she knew us, she really didn't have connection to observance of Yiddishkeit. She decided she wants to move to Israel. And I said to her, before you go to Israel, before you leave North America, you must meet the Rebbe. And I convinced her and I took her. It was a, a convention weekend. And I said to her, you know, she had a lot of questions. And I said to her, you know, you have particular questions. I said, look, I grew up in Crown Heights. I know that when the Rebbe comes in in the morning to Davning, if we stand in the lobby of 770 and uh, we're standing there, hopefully, maybe you'll be able to ask him your question. Okay, so we did that. So we came into the lobby and nobody disturbed us and we stood there and we were waiting. And in a few minutes, the door opened up and we're mamish facing the door standing by the elevator, you know, by the door of the elevator. And the Rebbe walks in and he sees us and he walks straight over to us and he's looking at us. And she was the one that was going to ask the Rebbe her question. She just stood there. She couldn't ask any questions. She just stood there. She was like <laughs> awestruck. I don't know. She was just, she couldn't move there. And in my brain, my brain was working very fast. And it was saying, Hannah, if you care about this girl, you brought her here. You know her question. Ask her question. Ask her question. But I too, standing in front of the Rebbe, I don't know how to describe this. Just no words came out of my mouth. And not that I didn't want to. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. And I, I, I was so upset with myself at that moment. I mean, here's an opportunity and no words are coming out. And then the Rebbe looked at us and he smiled to us and he turned and he went into the office. And I said to her, oh, I feel so bad. I didn't ask the question. And she said to me, no. I got all my answers. You don't have to say anything to me. I got it. I got it. I got everything. And that was something very, very special. 
It's so tremendous to me to hear people's encounters with the Rebbe in person or through a story that they heard that altered the way that they saw the world. Because in each story, I hear a quote or a concept that the same women who shared the story are living with every single day. For our fifth and final question, I asked each woman to share any advice that they had for someone who has not met the Rebbe and would like to feel some sort of personal connection with him. This is a really tough one because, you know, someone's connection with the Rebbe is so personal and specific to themselves. So there is that concept that like people can feel connected to people that are not you know, alive anymore and I've never met them. And I think it's just about knowing about them and it's about understanding their significance and understanding their presence in their lives. Like if you learn about how much the Rebbe has to do with your life, you can feel connected to him. So by learning, the Rebbe taught and wrote letters about just about any concept ever. And I'm sure there are things that you struggle with or that you're confused about that you could just like see what the Rebbe says about it. And you know, just like making the Rebbe a part of your life. You can do that in that way. And I think that that can help you feel more connected to him. And if none of that speaks to you, then read a biography about him. As a human being, the Rebbe was just an exceptional, exceptional human being and very holy man that it's like you can't help but feel in, in awe of him and to to feel that that connection. Also to kind of like go back to my answer to question two, I kind of spoke a little bit about how how I feel connected to the Rebbe and how it was just, honestly, it was just a very like simple kind of love, simple connection that is almost childlike that I don't know if anyone, everyone can relate to, but that is my personal connection. To anybody out there who has never met the Rebbe, which is probably most people now, who has never encountered the Rebbe, but who has heard about this guy maybe or has associations, the first thing wants to be closer to or understand, I guess, the Rebbe more. The first thing that I would say, and I have said this as I've taught things that he and his father-in-law have written, the first thing that I would say is let go of any preconceived notions that you have about Chabad, because we live in a world especially now at this point in time where we, if you're Jewish, you've most likely had an encounter with Chabad before and it informs your opinion, whether positive or negative. And I think it's really important to kind of meet somebody without preconceived ideas of who they are and what they are and letting go of that. So when I went to the Ohel for the first time or was watching these, they play videos on a loop in the lobby of the building or the Ohel, which is the gravesite of the Lubavitch Rebbe. I watched these videos like I knew nothing about him. Because the truth is, I did know nothing about him. I met people in the world who believed in his philosophy, who lived according to the kind of mission that he gave them, but I didn't know the man. And so I think it's really important to let go of preconceived notions, really when you're doing, like when you're countering any person, thinker or movement or idea, I think it's really important and to just meet them as they present themselves to you. Every human being deserves to be encountered in their wholeness and who they are and who they present themselves to be. And the stories that people have of them, the encounters that people recount of them, they're great, but they're not the person themselves. And you have to see like the way that he looks at people in these videos. All of There's so many videos of these encounters on YouTube. The way that he looks at people is so special. It's so special. And I couldn't have taken that in if I didn't approach him, I guess, with any ideas in my head. But just observe the person. Observe the human. Learn from the human. Learn how the human engages with other humans who are different from him. He just meets people irrespective of of anything, of their language, their dress, their whatever. He like looks at a person and he, and he truly looks at them. And it's miraculous. It's so beautiful. I've learned a lot from that. So that I think would be the most important thing is to just be open to an experience separate from the kind of emissaries or the people who represent the person. Just encounter the person. 
through writings, through like we're blessed to have so many videos on YouTube of him and just watch him, listen to him, listen to how he talks, look at how he engages with an, with an audience, look at how he engages with an individual, take it in and see what you think. There are many different ways that a person who has never had a connection with the Rebbe can create that connection or somebody that has had a connection can, you know, work on work on that relationship. Personally, I'm a reader, so I always um, get re-energized and re-inspired by reading stories of the Rebbe's interactions with people and just reading stories about the Rebbe's life in general and about the Rebbe's leadership. Now, the last thing that I would say and advice to someone who has never met the Rebbe. So it's interesting because my brother-in-law once told me that he asked my older brother-in-law, what do you do to live with the Rebbe? How do you teach your kids to live with the Rebbe? And besides the obvious of learning, learning the Rebbe's Tyra and watching videos and being inspired, this brother-in-law actually said to him, don't tell the kids like old time stories of the Rebbe. To them, it could be like Balshemto stories, something they, from a few hundred years ago. Tell them stories of the Rebbe now. If you're open to it, again, like the Ashkachapratis, you could have Rebbe stories now. And if you tell them those stories and are open to it, it's not going to be like, oh, years ago we had a Rebbe. It's going to be every day that you're living with the Rebbe. And every day you get to be inspired. Something simple. I love learning. Davening is a little hard for me. Last Gimel Thomas, I took on Ahlata to really daven, let's just say. I mean, I always think Menchat Shachris was not as good for me, let's just say. Again, always working on myself. And I had just decided this Ahlata, it was last Gimel Thomas, almost a year ago. And I felt that if I publicly said it on my family WhatsApp with my husband and my children, then I put it out and it's there in a voice note. And then like, there's no games. And I have not missed since, no matter what was happening, flying, whatever, going out with friends for two days. Like, I just don't miss it. And it's something I'm very proud of. I'm still, you know, need to work on my Avaita part. But this is what happens. I had just finished saying this hachlata on the family WhatsApp, and maybe five seconds later, not even a week later, five seconds later, my sister Hindle sent me a voice note that she sent me this siddur from Israel with her son. I'm going to be getting it any moment. And it's a siddur for women. Now, I know, like, I don't want to teach people to do a abridged version of davening. But right after I decided to take on davening more seriously in honor of Gimel Thomas, five seconds later, my sister sent me a voice note about a siddur that she's sending me that's for women, that if you have three to five minutes, you save this, these specific tefillahs. If you have five to eight minutes, you save these specific tefillahs. And I cannot begin to tell you, it was like immediate. I opened myself to pushing myself, making a achlata, announcing it, and then it immediately came through. It wasn't even like an Igris. The Rebbe heard my achlata and sent me that siddur. I couldn't get over it. I graduated to a regular siddur, not the abridged version for my sister who I love and adore, and she even um, inscribed it. So that was fun. But I have it next to my regular siddur because it reminds me of this amazing story. So yes, we have to learn the Rebbe Sichais which again, working on myself and watch videos, which I love these, the ones that come daily to your phone. But it's also about like opening yourself up to doing the Rebbe's work and making a achlata and then seeing that immediate response. It, it blew me away. It was also emotional for me because it was such a gift, an immediate gift. What would my advice be for someone who has never met the Rebbe, would like to feel some sort of connection with the Rebbe? Well, first of all, we're all connected with Dar Hashvi. We're all connected. It's about bringing out the connection. 
So how do we bring out the connection? How do we bring out the connection? We have to connect to the ideas of the Rebbe. Anak Sovis Yehovis, the Rebbe is in his words. And in whichever format, and there are so many formats today, even the Gunim, seeing the Rebbe singing the Gunim, you, you connect on every level. Emes is a connection, and Emes goes through many modes and mediums how it connects learning anything from the Rebbe's ideas, stories of the Rebbe, anything of that nature. When you connect to Emmis, you touch Emmis. It's like, you know, in a drop of the ocean, all the characteristics and qualities of the ocean are in that drop. So even if it's in small, small measures, we get it all. And I want to tell you my feeling about this generation in general, this generation where it's a generation that has not had the ability of Be'almadein has not seen the Rebbe, I believe that this generation is a generation of mitzuyanim, dar mitzuyanim, just extraordinary, because the Rebbe never gives us something that we can't handle. And if he puts us in a situation now where this is the situation that we don't see the Rebbe, that means that there is an ability, and time and time and time again, I see it, that it's really actualized, where people who have not had any backgrounds to Yiddishkeit and have been so far away, and what have you, incredible stories, and through learning of the Tanya or something from the Rebbe or meeting with a Chosset, some kind of connection to this Emes, you know, it's life-altering for them. And they change their lives and they become true It's just so totally incredible. So the connection, it's open. The letters of the Rebbe are beautiful and wonderful because they also deal with life questions that people have today as always. So that's like another source. And the most important thing is that we shouldn't look backwards and say, oh, I wish I would have lived in the time when the Rebbe was here, Balmadain. And especially when you hear the stories, oh, I think that's like a trap. That's a trap because it's beautiful to hear the stories if they inspire you. That's very, very good. But if they bring you sort of like oh, to a, a remorsefulness or a regret or a place that's not positive, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. The good place to be is connection and through inspiration. So we must be inspired. And whatever it is that inspires, that's the right place to, to seek it. And really, we are standing, of course, on the threshold of Geula, very, very much so. And if we understand that perspective, everything around us we see in that manner, we understand the importance of our thoughts and our deeds, our actions, everything we do, and we have the ability to do what we need to do. We have absolutely the ability, and we have the handbook. And the handbook is our Torah, and especially with the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift of the illumination of Torahs and Torahs Achsidus. There you have it, the Rebbe's impact on the world. Not from 30 years ago, but from right now. There were hundreds, if not thousands more women I could have interviewed for this episode. Women who, in some way, continue to be impacted by the Rebbe's vision for the world. This may be the anniversary of the Rebbe's passing, but for me personally, as someone who has never met the Rebbe, I connect to the day by celebrating the impact the Rebbe has on my life. Every year, his spiritual presence only intensifies. Every year, I find myself more and more inspired by his vision for the world.